0: so glad you're here with us today on the first Sunday of the new year. We're going to do a two-week series, and this is called Winning the Game. And and the idea is that life is like a game, and there are some rules. And if you don't follow the rules, you're not going to succeed. If you follow the rules, you're going to succeed at life. Because what I've discovered, and maybe you have discovered this as well, people are kind of funny, right? You can tell a man that there are 300 billion stars, and he'll believe you. Tell that same man that a bench has just been painted and he's got to touch it to be sure, right? I mean, um, people are always interesting. They're not always nice. People are not always predictable because they have a mind of their own. You, You can't get along with some people, but you can't get... Along in life without some other people. So we just feel like it's vital that you learn some rules if we're going to be successful at this whole thing called life. And so what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you three rules that, that you need to understand, and you need to put into practice if you're going to be successful at relationships in 2015. So rule number one is attitude determines outcome attitude determines outcome. What that means is our attitude is the primary force that determines whether we succeed or fail. And here's the best way to determine what your attitude is. I want you to read this sentence on the screen and and I want you to think about this. Do you feel your world is treating you well? Now, now, just think your answer. That do you feel like your world, the the environment that you're in, whether it's home, whether it's work or school, whatever, that that you feel like it's treating you well? Because here's what happens. I want you. To, I want to dare you to try this over the next seven days. If you feel excellent towards your world, what tends to happen is everybody in your world tends to treat you excellent. If you feel ah, my world, yeah, I don't know, man. Then, then what happens is everybody seems to treat you average. And then if you're negative towards your world, you know what happens? Every freaking person in the world is negative towards you, right? It's because we tend, whatever our, our attitude goes out, it tends to be reflected back to us. So I want to challenge you over the next seven days to think that your world is excellent. And, and, and I want you to realize that attitude matters. Um... There's a couple of things. I'm reading this little book by John Maxwell called Attitude 101. Great, great book. I love John Maxwell. Just about anything John Maxwell does, I have stacks and stacks of books by John Maxwell because he's he's a leadership expert. He he started out in church work. He was a pastor for years, and, and then he went into leadership, and he, trains, he, he literally trains leaders all over the world. He's a world-famous guy. So I wanted to, to share with you some of the things that I've been reading in this little book. Here's the first one. Attitudes can lift up or tear down a team. Now, good attitudes don't guarantee that a team's going to win, but a bad attitude guarantees that a team will fail. You with me? You ever seen any of that? My, brothers were on, uh, my brother was on a team at, in high school, and it was juniors against seniors, and, and, and so the juniors were all the linemen, and seniors, seniors were all the, the running backs and the quarterback, and they thought they were studly, and, and so the juniors just won, won in district they just decided to see how studly the running back and the quarterbacks were with no blocking. They lost. It was a horrible season because there was competition. There was bad attitudes, and, and it, it was contagious. So that's the second one. Attitudes are contagious. Now, there's some things on a team that aren't very contagious, like, well, that aren't contagious at all, like talent, like experience, like willingness to practice hard, but there's one thing that is always contagious. What is it? Attitude. Have you ever heard of a guy named Roger Bannister? Somebody have, you know what he's famous for? First guy, way to go, Joe. Did you read the same book I did? Um, (laughs) He was the first man, he's a British um, track star. He was the first man to break the four minute mile. Now in the first half of the 20th century, sports experts, there were such things back then, they said that the human body was not constructed. It was impossible for a human to run four laps around a track in under four minutes. And then on May 6, 1954, Roger Bannister ran a 3 minute 59 seconds point 04. And he broke the barrier. Within 2 months another man did it. And then all of a sudden, people everywhere were breaking the four-minute mile. Why? Because one guy had the right attitude. He worked hard. He did, he did not believe it when people said, you can't do this. He became the, the, the first person to open the door. And now, you're not even considered world-class unless you can run under a four-minute mile, well under a four-minute mile. And that's because attitudes are contagious. Now, here's the real key. Bad attitudes multiply faster than good ones. The only thing in the world more contagious than a good attitude is a bad attitude. And, and I read about a football game where there was a doctor working at the first aid station. And he, he treated five people who came into the first aid uh, station with symptoms of food poisoning. He began to to uh, suspect that's what it was. And so he, he questioned all these people and they found out all five people had bought a drink from this same concession stand. So the doctor goes to the PA announcer, this just seems so dumb to me, goes to the PA announcer and has them announce, please don't buy drinks from this one concession stand because we have people who are showing symptoms of food poisoning. In no time, over 200 people show up and they all have symptoms of food poisoning. He's just overcrowded. Now here's the really, interesting thing. The doctor kept asking questions and he found out that all five of these people, the original sufferers, had gone to the same deli, had eaten the same jacked up potato salad, and that's why they had food poisoning. And then when the other 200 later sufferers found out that the drinks were okay, miraculously they were healed and they enjoyed the it. Was, it was this one little negative thought that was planted. And what happens? It spreads. You know, because if you if you ever hear that somebody has lice, you immediately start scratching your head. <laughs> Not me, because they got no place to hide. But you know, those people that have hair, you know, your head starts itching. I don't. I just say. <laughs> <laughs> Even if I had it, how long is it going to take me to find it? <laughs> I watched Janie comb hair. No, no. <laughs> so here's what Satan does: he plants a negative thought in churches. He gets somebody to be discontent. The problem is they can't keep their discontent to themselves. And it starts to spread. And poison goes through a church. Y'all shaking your heads because you've seen it. We must guard against that because here's the next point. Rotten attitudes ruin a church. You with me? So, if you have a bad attitude... Please don't join new life. <laughs> go somewhere else. Actually, actually, seriously, don't go to a church if you've got a bad attitude. Now I'm not saying you can't have bad days, right? We all have bad days. But the reason we come corporately together and worship is so that so that the 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 attitudes of people around us can help lift us up because you know we we pray for Timmy all the time he's in my small group and and we pray for Timmy just to help him out timmy has been such an encouragement to so many of you all that in his time of need, people have stepped up. In fact, at the end of the service, we're gonna have a special offering to, to help uh, defray the costs. And I know, I know there's an online thing, a GoFundMe, and there was, a, there was a, a gun that Danny sold, and there's gonna be a barrel riding thing in Athens, and all the proceeds from that, February 28th, they're going to help, and we're gonna do some other things here. But, but we want to help each other out. So when you come to church, it's okay if you're in a bad mood for that long. <laughs> Because what you wanna do is come into the presence of God and take your eyes off of yourself and see God. And, and if you got problems and you think your problems are, are big, then my question to you is how big is your God? Because the God that I serve spoke the world into existence. The God that I serve said, let there be light, and there was light. The God that I serve said, let the waters be separated from the land and let there be seas, let there be dry land, let there be moons, stars. And then he said to his son, get up. When his son had died on the cross for our sins. So if you're telling me that that your problems are too big for God, you have not met my God. The God of the scriptures. Rotten attitudes, run a church. And see, here's what blows my mind. I've been in a lot of churches. I've, I've been a I've been a minister, either youth minister or pastor, now for thirty-one years. Started when I was two. <laughs> yeah, but but I've been in churches a long time, and here's what happens over and over again. In fact, this one church, there was the the worst attitude in the church, and I'm and everybody. If you were to say this guy's name, in fact, teenagers at this church, teenagers in my youth group, used to come to business meeting just to see when this one old codger would go off. <laughs> I'm I'm not making it up. They would have their little watches and they have you know, six minutes or you know, twenty minutes, and, and to them, a business meeting wasn't any fun if the dude hadn't stood up and, and made some some unbelievably improper remarks. You know what we did at that church? We made that man a deacon. <laughs> I voted no. And I went to the chairman of deacons and I said I said, dude, we were friends and we, we butted heads a lot, but we were good friends. And I said, Why would you do that? And his God is my witness, his answer to me was Well he's he's unhappy. And so I figured if I gave him a job, he would be happy. I said he's just gonna run the church. And he did. That's, that's, his, that's his legacy. Well, let me, let me just ask you a couple of questions. <clears throat> what is this, this character, what is he famous for? What kind of attitude? Who is that? Eeyore. Eeyore. Is Eeyore known as just a source of boundless energy? <laughs> no, he sucks the life out of everybody. As a kid, I was so frustrated. I didn't even like him to come on the cartoon because I'm going, oh, get him off, right? Because he's depressed. Nobody loves me. <laughs> my brothers and I were going through some pictures just a couple of weeks ago. We were, we were finishing up mom and dad's estate, and we were dividing pictures and stuff like that, and, and we, we have thousands of pictures, but there's probably a 100 pictures of my grandmother, my mom's mom, and I had never seen a picture of my grandmother smiling. And we found two out of probably a hundred. All the time she was and and again, as a kid, I, I said to my mom, How come your mama isn't happy? Now I didn't know, I didn't know until I was in my twenties that granddad beat grandma, granddad beat all the grandkids. Um, I didn't know that my mom got married to, to get away from this 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 granddad, her dad. Um, I didn't know that my uncles used to run away from their house because my mom was the oldest to go to my mama's house because mom had always protected them. Man, you think that didn't change my attitude towards my mom? It did. I had to go back and and ask for some forgiveness. But I'll never forget grandma. Every time we had a party, grandma was sitting over there like this. And she wondered why nobody hung out with her. And as a kid, I didn't even want to hug her. And and it wasn't, it, it was just this thing like, I was kind of scared of her. I didn't want to be around somebody like that because I wanted to have fun. Afraid she'd steal it from me. Okay, who's this guy? Who's the next one? T-I-Double-G-U-R. err. <laughs> I loved it when Tigger showed up. My mom kind of got irritated. I think I was kind of like Tigger when I was a kid. <laughs> all over the place, you know? You got a little kid that's just full of... I, I know you got one. Um, I mean, just all over the place. <laughs> Wear you out. Now... Let me ask you this. What is he known for? Is he known for a bad attitude or good attitude? The, what is it? The head is full, filled with the rubber, tail is full, filled with spring. I don't know. But he bounces around. He's happy. Now, if you had to make a choice, Eeyore or Tigger, which one would you rather hang out with? I'm just assuming if he was a real person, mostly good things would happen in his life because he's a happy dude and he looks for happiness all over the place. All right, you with me? All right, got it, okay. Now, what I'm saying is... You've got to choose which attitude you have, and I think all of us need to get in line for an attitude adjustment today, all right? So let's look at the scripture. Look at Galatians six seven. If you're following along on uh, U version, which is on your smartphone, it's the second half of the verse. If you ever see like a verse and it says, "galatians six, seven, A or six seven B or even see it's just parts of the verse. So what I'm using is Galatians 6, 7b, just the last sentence of the verse, and here's what it says. You will always harvest what you plant. Now, last year, this time, this Sunday last year, I was preaching and I was telling you that I was praying and asking God to give me a word for the entire year of 2014. And my word, a verse and a word, and my verse uh, was Psalm 5, 3, in the morning, O Lord, I lay my, uh, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation, My word for the entire year was expectation. Now, I got to ask you, who in their wildest dreams expected January, whatever the first Sunday was last year, who expected that by the third Sunday in December, New Life Community Church would own 38 acres behind the church? Anyone? No, I'd tell you a liar. I'd call you a liar right to your face. Make you stand up here and show you. because none of us had any anticipation of that. I told you for years we'd been praying about the 1.8 acres right back here. And praying and praying and praying that God would provide the 1.8 acres. And God provides 38? All we said was, we're gonna pray and we're gonna ask God to do some stuff. And then we're gonna expect him to answer. In the morning, oh Lord, you hear my voice. In the morning, I lay my request before you and I wait in expectation. If you have that type of attitude and you're watching for God to work during the day, it's going to brighten your spirit, right? So what I'm telling you is you've gotta choose. If you, if you plant Negativity in your own life, you're going to reap negativity. If you plant negativity in your family, you're going to reap negativity from your family. It would be impossible to estimate the number of jobs that have been lost, promotions missed, sales not made, marriages ruined by bad attitudes. The key to a positive attitude is to know the difference between a problem and a fact of life. A problem is something that can be solved, a fact of life is something that must be accepted. Because failing at the game of life is an inside job. It's really what happens here that determines whether you succeed or fail. Success is an inside job. Failure is an inside job. So you're going to have to change your thinking if you want to be successful. <clears throat> There's a lady named Barbara Johnson, and she's, her most, one of her most famous books is uh, Stick a Geranium in Your Hat and Be Happy. All right? Now, this lady spoke at a conference. She's Christian. She spoke at a conference. I want to read you what she said after that conference. After I spoke to women recently, a darling gal rushed up to me saying, oh, Barb, you're just so lucky. You've come through all your trials with so much joy and victory. And I laughed and I told the lady, I didn't believe there was any such thing as luck for Christians. That's a great line. No such thing as luck for Christians. Here's what she said. One family out of 500,000 lost a son in Vietnam. I'm that one out of 500,000, she said. Um, one family out of 800 has a child killed by a drunk driver. She says, I'm the one out of 800. She says, statistics say that one family out of every 10 will have a homosexual child. She said, I'm, I'm the one out of 10. She said, and recently I became part of another statistic that, one out of every, that out of every 40 women over middle age, one will develop adult onset diabetes. She said, that's me. She said, it's not as, as, not as complicated as, as juvenile diabetes, she said, but it still is life-threatening. She said, so I'm dealing with all of this stuff. She said, I said a lot more, but the main thrust was that I chose to look at what seemed good to me rather than to anticipate all the gruesome complications that can happen at some point. That's a great line, but here's my favorite line, this on your listening guide. She said, we're all going to have pain, but misery is optional. You see somebody in misery, they've they've chosen it. Now, I'm not saying that life isn't difficult. Scripture has a whole book called the book of Job. Job didn't get to see the first three sentences of chapter one, where it says this was a divine contest where Satan says, well, yeah, you're protecting Job. That's the only reason he worships you. Job didn't get to see that. We see unbelievable misery where he even had boils on his skin So bad, the itching was so bad that it would break a pot to scrape the skin. I know life can be difficult, but misery is optional. Read the book of Job. God never did tell him why. Now, I think he did once he got to heaven, but in this lifetime, he didn't ever find out why, and some of you are wondering why, and you're not going to get the why answer in this lifetime. But when when Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago, stretched out his arms, he forever drove a stake in the ground saying, this is how much I love you. So you have to look at everything in your life, every circumstance, good or bad, against the backdrop of that cross where Jesus said, I love you this much that I will die for you rather than live without you. You look at it like that, it changes your attitude about your circumstances. Paul said the suffering that we have in this life is light and, con- and, and temporary compared to the joy and riches of heaven. We have no idea, no mind has seen, no ear has heard what God has in store for those who follow him. And so heaven is gonna be this incredible place that we can't even imagine. And when we see it, all of our troubles on earth will just fade away because it is unbelievable. It's all about attitude, Now, you can't control the length of your life, but you can control how wide and how deep it is. You can't control the shape of your face, but you can control your expression. If you don't believe it, I want you to do a little experiment. Those of you who have children, I don't know if you have any of these children, but sometimes a kid will go in the other room when you've made them mad, and they'll start, you know, in there. And and have y'all ever seen that, heard that? See, and and I'm just kind of a, I'm, I'm kind of a, So I hear that, I let it go for a little bit, and I wait till they really work up to a fever pitch, and then I step in the room. Do you think their expression changes? (laughs) I'm going to tell you how much their expression changes in direct proportion to how much discipline and respect mean to you. Because if you go in there and bust their little butt, when you step in and you go, what would you say? Nothing. (laughs) I mean, mad demons coming out. (sighs) Nothing. I love you, Daddy. Yeah, you're about to love me a whole lot more. Because <laughs> I'm going to light you up. I love you, but... Here's what I want you to do real quickly. I want you, when you're, right where you're sitting, I want you to make a mental list of the things in your life that you cannot control. I, I'll share your, my list with you in a second, but right there. Some things, you, if you want to jot it down, that's fine. What are some things that you cannot control in your life right now? Ready, set, go. I have a drinking problem. <laughs> <clears throat> Sorry, that was really bad. <clears throat> I have allergies and they're attacking. Here's my list. I can't control my spouse. Can't control my kids. I can't control the government. I can't control my in-laws. And and uh, for me, it's not an ex-wife, but you know, ex- I can't control my ex. It's not an ex-wife, but there are exes. I can't control the length of my life. I can't control the length of my in-laws' lives. (laughs) I told you, I'm just kind of weird when I think through these things. Right? Okay. So why waste a lot of time on things I can't control? Now, make a mental list of the things you can control. All right, ready, Say go. Then I'll share with you mine. Somebody tell me, what, what, what can you control in your life? finances, you you can at least control where they go. Anger? Anger? Somebody said something over here. Attitude. Attitude, What else? I heard a male's voice, but (laughs) I don't know what it said. Okay. what you think? Here's what I put. I can control how much time I spend with God. I can control how much I pray. I can control how I speak to my family, how much time I spend with my family. There are things we can control, so let's focus on what we can control. Let's not worry about those things we can't, right? All right, so the first thing, if you're gonna succeed, the first thing you gotta understand is your attitude determines the outcome of your life. Second thing, second rule. Failure doesn't have to be final. Failure does not have to be final. In fact, the most successful people in the world are the people who refuse to quit just because they failed. How many times do you think Roger Bannister failed before he broke the four minute mile? Every time he tried before May 6, 1954. <laughs> so, why wallow in self pity? Get up and move on. We've experienced unbelievable highs in this church, and we've experienced unbelievable lows. Every person that stands on this stage, every person that shared a testimony on video in the last few weeks, every person has unbelievable hurts and and failures in their past. But you wanna know what I love about the band? They refuse to be defined by their failures. You, You stand up, for me, an adult, a mature person stands up and says, here's where I messed up. I'm really gonna try not to do that again. With God's help, I'm gonna put that behind me and I'm gonna move on. I tell people in jail, you don't have to be defined by the fact that you're in jail. I tell people who are divorced, you don't have to be defined by by divorce. I tell people all the time, do not let your past define you. And and actually, I want you to hear this. This is just 21 seconds of Brandy's testimony from last week, but this really hit home with me, and and I'll talk about it. I go to AA every week, I go to CR every week, I go to counseling every week, come to church every week. I do the things I have to do because I want to be better. And I don't want to settle for you did this and now you have to suffer and wallow in misery because that's not what God wants for us. And I know that's not what he wants for me and my family. And that's a great line. She said, I don't want to wallow in misery. I don't want to be the person I used to be, so I'm doing the things I need to do. To learn and move on. So what I'm telling you is learn from your mistakes. But here's the thing. Don't just learn from your own mistakes. Real wisdom comes from learning from the mistakes of others. I mean, share. You don't have to make all the mistakes in the world. Share with someone else. It's what happens in small group. Danny's told me some things. I'm like, I ain't doing that. <laughs> <laughs> He's just so easy to pick on. Now, seriously, though. Here's what happens in small group. I share some of my Mess-ups and my hurts and my habits and my hang-ups. Danny shares some. Casey and, and Sherry share some. You guys, when I was in group with, with Michael and Olivia, they shared. You share your hurts and, and you pray for and you encourage each other. But but one of, one of the reasons I didn't get in more trouble, now this is actually the bad side of this, I observed my brothers. My brothers are 12 and 14 years older than me. And so I watched. Every time they got caught, I thought, not going to do that. Not going to do that. And And then I did other things that... I finally got caught. I had to come clean. But, but seriously, watch other people and learn from others because you don't have enough time in your life to make all the mistakes. Now, it can, <laughs> it's not what happens to you that matters. It's what happens in you. It's the way you choose to respond to it. And uh, what I'm going to do real quickly is I want to show you two characters from the Old Testament. Both of them utter failures. Utter failures. One recovered and the other didn't. And the reason the one, the, the difference in the two was their attitude towards sin. First is Saul. First failure is Saul. In Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter eight, the people of Israel decided they wanted a king. They whined and, and by whine, I mean it. You need to read this sometime. They whined, we want a king. All the other nations have a king. We want a king. Samuel was the prophet. Samuel said, God is your king, you idiots. That's, that's my translation. Sometimes I, I like to translate the Bible. He said, God is your king. They actually asked Samuel to be the king and he's like, dude, I'm not falling for that because God's your king and and Samuel gets mad and then he goes and he talks to God and God says, okay, Samuel, don't, don't worry about this because they haven't rejected you, they've rejected me. This is God saying this. Samuel, they're not rejecting your leadership as the prophet, they're rejecting my leadership as God. I think that's the worst thing you could say about the people of God, whether it's Israel or New Life Community Church. We, we cannot reject what God tells us to do. So God says, I'm gonna let them have a king and the king's gonna let them down. So Saul is cho- chosen as the first king. If you remember anything about the Old Testament, Saul was head and shoulders taller than anybody else in the kingdom. There was literally no one like Saul in all of Israel and he becomes the first king. And he reigned over 40 years. And he was a constant mess up from the time he became king until he was killed in battle, fighting the next king. He was a constant mess up. One time, uh, I mean, right after he's he's made king, Samuel the prophet says, "Okay, go to Gilgal, and I want you to hang out at Gilgal seven days. How many days?" Seven days. And he said, then I'm going to come and I'm going to offer sacrifices. Well, on the seventh day, Samuel doesn't show up when when Saul thought he should. So Saul says, bring me the sacrifices and I'm going to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, if you know anything about Israel, is anybody other than the prophet or the high priest supposed to offer sacrifices? No, the king should not do that. And as soon as he finishes offering the sacrifice, guess who shows up? Samuel, on the seventh day, he just didn't show up when, when Saul thought he should. And Samuel says, what are you doing? And Saul, this is what he does his whole life, he blames Samuel. Well, you weren't here on time, so I did your job. Let's read it. This is First Samuel... 13, starting in verse seven. Meanwhile, Saul stayed at Gilgal and his men were trembling with fear. Saul waited there seven days for Samuel as Samuel had instructed him earlier, but Samuel still didn't come. Saul realized that his troops were rapidly slipping away. That means they were actually literally leaving. So he demanded, bring me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And Saul sacrificed the burnt offering himself. Just as Saul was finishing with the burnt offering, Samuel arrived. Saul went out to meet and welcome him. But Samuel said, what is this you have done? Saul replied, I saw my men scattering from me and you didn't arrive when you said you would, and the Philistines are at Mi'kmash ready for battle, and look, this sounds so spiritual. So I said, the Philistines are ready to march against us at Gilgal, and I haven't even asked the Lord for his help. Sounds spiritual, doesn't it? It's not. Look what Samuel says. He says, so I felt compelled to offer the burnt offering myself before you came. How foolish, Samuel exclaimed, you have not kept the command of the Lord your God, uh, had you kept it the lord would have established your kingdom over israel forever but now your kingdom must end for the lord has sought out a man after his own heart the lord has already appointed him to be the leader of the people because you have not kept the lord's command if you study scripture god wants obedience more than he wants acts of of worship or acts of religion right god wants obedience and this is just the first of many mistakes. I don't have time to go into all, all of them, but here's what Sam, uh, Saul did all the time. He partially obeyed. One time he was told to destroy all the people and all the animals of a city. And so he goes in and some of the people said, hey, let's take some of the best animals for ourselves. And so he comes out, Samuel comes up and he says, what have you done? Why haven't you obeyed the Lord? Well, I did obey the Lord. And he said, why do I hear sheep bleeding? And Saul goes, uh, well, we're gonna sacrifice those to the Lord. There's that spiritual thing again. And, and Samuel says, God wants obedience. So he blamed others all the time. When he found out that David was going to be the next king, he tried to kill him repeatedly. Even after a couple of times David had the opportunity to kill Saul, he didn't kill him. And Saul said, oh, you are more righteous than I, I'm going to leave you alone. He kept trying to kill him over and over. So Saul's not the best dude. Then here's how bad it gets. Look what he does in in 1 Samuel 28, verse 7. Saul then said to his advisors, find a woman who is a medium. All right, if you know anything about the Jews... The Ten Commandments, the very first one says, you shall have no other gods before me. No idols, nothing. So, so questioning anybody other than God was, was spiritism. There's a Holy Spirit we know about. There was a Holy God they knew about. Anything other than talking to the Holy God, you're talking to Demonic things Here's what he says Find a woman who is a medium Or actually the translation Could be witch So I can go and ask her What to do His advisors replied There's a medium in Endor There's a witch in Endor Spiritually speaking You could not be Any farther away from God As a person of Israel As a Jew Than to go talk to a witch And see what happened Was he prayed to God God didn't give him an answer Well God's not gonna answer me I'm gonna go talk to the witch <laughs> Failure number two Second failure is David. Now, let me tell you about David. In, in that passage we just read, Samuel said, God's already found a man after his own heart to replace you. So he's calling David a man after God's own heart. Uh, David is regarded as the greatest king in the Old Testament, greatest king of Israel. He was a man of, of worship prayer. He wrote many of the Psalms, which are worship prayers. How did he fail? Well, let's read it. 2 uh, Samuel eleven one through 5 in the spring of the year, when kings normally go out to war, David sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonite army and laid siege to the city of Rabbah. However, David stayed behind in Jerusalem late one afternoon after his midday rest. I just read this and I'm shaking my head. When kings go out to war, where's David? Not at war. He's taking a nap. I don't have any problem with a nap. I'm going to take one a day. Sometimes I like a 10 minute nap. Sometimes it's 20. Sundays it's about an hour. <laughs> just because. I don't have a problem with that. But where was he supposed to be? War. After his midday rest, after his nap, David got out of bed and was walking on the roof of the palace. Now, the king's palace was bigger than anything else. It was just part of the deal. His, his roof had to be higher. So, like, you couldn't build higher than the king. If you did, the king would add another story so that he could be the highest one in the kingdom. So he's out walking around. He looked out over the city. He noticed a woman of unusual beauty taking a bath. Seeing the woman was not the sin. The sin is he kept looking. All right, so you can't, temptation is not the sin. It's what you do with the temptation. We talk about some guys, some friends of mine and I, we talk about we need to bounce our eyes. We need to save our eyes only for our wives. Bounce it so that the temptation is not the sin. It's what he did. He kept looking. So he sent someone to find out who she was and he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite. End of story. She's married. No. Then David sent messengers to get her. When she came to the palace, he slept with her. She had completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. I don't know why the scripture put that there, but it's there, so I just read it. Then she returned home. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I am pregnant. How did the worshiper, the prayer warrior, the writer, the man after God's own heart fail so miserably? Number one, he wasn't where he was supposed to be. Number two, he was bored. You get men who are bored, they're going to get in trouble. Now, it may not be with women, it may not... It may be a four-wheeler, because we see a mud hole, and we're like, I can do it, right? I know some of the Stevens kids, they got stuck in a mud hole. I mean, it's just, it's just going to happen. That's why there's YouTube videos of dudes jumping off of roofs onto trampolines and going to hospitals, because you get a bored man, and he says, I can do it. He wasn't where he was supposed to be. He wasn't doing what he was supposed to be doing. He sinned. I mean, there, there should have been all of these red flags going up with David, He sinned and then he covered it up by killing the woman's husband and eventually marrying her. We're gonna dig into this more in a couple of weeks. But but here's what I want you to realize. Way back when Moses, the the most prominent man in the Old Testament, when Moses was talking to the Israelites when they were about to go into the promised land, he's talking to this group of people and he says this, you may be sure that your sin will find you out. All right, this, this is what we tell our kids all the time. Scripture says your sin will find you out. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your sin will find you out. It's, it's not gonna be secret. From the very first sin in the Garden of Eden, Satan said, you can eat this apple, you're not gonna die And you'll be like God. Basically, what he was saying is you can eat this this fruit with no consequences. That's That's what Satan says to you. You can do whatever your sin is. You can do it and there won't be any consequences. But every time you do that sin, it's like another handcuff comes on you. And Satan has you stronger chained to his tree because you've given in to him. So when we start our new series, two weeks, we're going to start a new series called The Truth About You. And then uh, the small groups, we're going to do a, a small group study called The Me I Want to Be. And I'm, I'm just telling you now, you've got to be involved in these things. If you want to grow spiritually, this series and the small group study is going to help you do that. And I don't care if you have another small group somewhere else other than Sunday nights. That's awesome. Yay! The Lighthouse, they had one out at Tennessee Colony. When did y'all meet? Was it, it was on Sundays. Um, she said, "Can I do one at my house?" So we had the White House, we had the Lighthouse, the Washburns, and the Colanders, and the Matsons. So we got to figure out a better, better house. Yeah, <laughs> a better name for our houses. How about that? The difference between Saul and David was their attitude towards sin. Whenever David was confronted, immediately he said, "I have sinned," and he wrote Psalm 51, which is one of the greatest confession psalms in all of the Bible. One of the things he says is, I have sinned against you, God, and he says, restore to me the joy of your salvation. Renew a willing heart within me. It's a great psalm, but the the total difference is David confessed, Saul didn't. And and how close was Saul to confessing? I don't know, but, but I know the Bible says in the New Testament, if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Saul didn't do it. David did, and he was restored and, and it kind of reminded me of this. I've used this before, but i want to run through this real quick. There's this, this, this little saying called autobiography in five chapters, and I want you to see where you are in this process. Chapter one, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I fall in. I am lost. I am helpless. It isn't my fault. It takes forever to find a way out. Chapter two, I walk down the street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I pretend I don't see it. I fall in again. I can't believe I'm in the same place, but it isn't my fault. It still takes a long time to get out. That's Saul. Saul kept repeating chapter one, chapter two, chapter three. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I see it is there. I still fall in. It's a habit. My eyes are open. I know where I am. It's my fault. I get out immediately. Chapter four. I walk down the same street. There's a deep hole in the sidewalk. I walk around it. Better. Chapter five is where we need to be. I walk down another street. When I talk to people in jail, I say, when you get out, you have to hang out with different people. If you go back and do the same things you've always done, you're going to get the same results you've always gotten. So let's get some new friends. Um, I mean, if you you have a past, you're probably, and you're a new believer, I can guarantee you, you're not strong enough to go hang out with those same people. You need to be around people who are going to lift you up, who care for you like family. And somebody who offers you drugs, they don't care for you. They're in misery and they want you to be in misery. Someone who wants you to do something that that puts your marriage in jeopardy, that's not a friend. That's someone who wants to destroy you and they're being used by Satan himself to destroy the things that, that God loves. So you gotta make some different choices. So spiritual maturity, let's quit doing what we've always done. Let's try something different. So the key is allowing God to change your mind. All right. Well, and I, I put this on your listening guide. The only people who ever wasted their lives are the ones who refused to let God work in them. Gotta move on. Uh, rule number three, live life on purpose. Three levels that most people live at. First is the survival level. People just live from paycheck to paycheck. Everybody's working for the weekend. I used to love that song, right? And, and uh, it's just surviving, I don't want to live like that. Second level is the success level. Now, compared to, to, you probably wouldn't say that you're rich. Go with me to Haiti. Everybody in Haiti would say you're rich because you have a house. You probably have something to drive. You probably have some food, and you probably have a few toys. I don't know what your toys are. i got a couple of mowers <laughs> and two broken down four-wheelers. i got some awesome toys. But, that, but people in Haiti would love to have your problems. They would think you're rich. And, and here's the deal. Success doesn't satisfy. That's why politicians, that's why movie stars, that's why music stars that have everything the world has to offer still commit suicide. They still commit adultery. They still are miserable because success does not satisfy. So you've got to move to the last level, which is significance. Significance, you get significance by three things. You learn the meaning of life. I've got to do this real fast. I'm sorry, I, I went long today, but... The meaning of life is God created you as a piece of the puzzle. The problem is when the puzzle piece says, I'm everything, you, Aaron, need to revolve around me, and then I'll be happy. I don't give a rip about you, but I'll be happy because I'm the center of the universe, What happens when when Aaron, who's a part of this puzzle too, Aaron goes, forget you, home G," And he's bigger than me. Bam. And he says, well, I I want the world to revolve around me. And I say, forget you, Aaron. He goes his way, I go my way. And what God created to fit together, we don't even give a chance. Because what we do, this is a turtle puzzle. And this is Hannah's uh, kitty cat puzzle. So what we do is we run around all of our lives trying to fit in a puzzle that God never created us to fit in. And we're miserable. And we do it over and over and over again. Barney, in his testimony, said he was sitting there one day and he said, the same thing that happened last year is happening again. And he said, I decided I don't want to do this over and over. I'm going to change. So you discover the meaning of life, and the meaning of life is you were created by God for a purpose. When you revolve around God, the Son, S-O-N, you begin to understand that purpose. And then when you figure that out and you you are a piece of the puzzle and you see that you're not everything, you're just one little bitty piece. Because wouldn't it be crazy to go to God and say, or even the creator of the puzzle and say, I am God. And the creator of the puzzle goes, dude, you're one meaningless little insignificant Weird-shaped amoeba. <laughs> now, now, if you don't have that one in your puzzle, what does everybody look at? Because we had some young men come to our house and steal some puzzle pieces before. That's a, that's a capital offense, if you ask me. All right, so you know, learn the meaning of life. You're not everything. You revolve around God. You, re- you learn how much you matter to God. That gives you significance. And you learn God's will for your life. Two verses, and we're done. Here's how much God loves you. Isaiah 44.2 says, I am your creator. You were in my care even before you were born. So God was caring for you before he ever thought you up. Next verse is Psalm 139.16. Again, this is by David. This is the living Bible version. David says, you, talking about God, scheduled each day of my life before I began to breathe. Every day was recorded in your book. God, you matter so much to God that he's loved you from before you ever breathed the breath, before you were a sparkle in your parents' eye. God loved you, and he had a plan for your life, and you will be frustrated till you discover that plan. So if you... uh if you are interested, some, some of you have prayed recently to receive Christ. I've got a couple of things here. One is next steps. I've got a book. If you, if you are a fairly new Christian and you want to know your next steps, this. And then if you want a little devotional, just a, a few week devotional, what on earth am I here for? I've got some of these. Come see me after church. Now, here's what I want you to do. Put, the, put that prayer up there. It's actually two pages. I want you to consider praying this prayer as we, as we get finished today. Read through that. And if you mean that, you say, God, that's, I mean this. So as you read it, Travis, when you get to the bottom, scroll to the next one. Meaning in life comes from knowing your creator and knowing why he created you. As my goal and New Life's goal to help you get to that point. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to dedicate again our lives to you. And I pray for some of us that, that 2015 would be better than 2014. But regardless of what happens, good or bad, you've said in Romans 8, that you can work all things together for good to those who love you and are called according to your purpose. And you will make us look more like Jesus, good or bad. So I pray that we would Pay attention to what you're doing in our lives and we do that in the name of Jesus, amen.